Shemai, hello, and welcome to In the Spotlight, a podcast from the lifestyle team at Wheels Online, where we sit down with some of the biggest and best names in showbiz. We'll be finding out where our guests got their big break, and also some of the struggles they faced along the way, if any. I'm your host, Catherine Williams, and this week's special guest is one of Wheels' hardest working actors, Mr. Mark Lewis-Jones. Right, hang on. I was practicing this before I came on. Um, and I wanted to ask you uh, about, I because you grew up in Froslanervigog. No, I had, I, had, I had to practice it. Well, yes, it's not the easiest to say. No, oh, it's not the easiest. I'm pretty good with. It's why I think it's why we always abbreviated to Rose. Rose, Rose. Yeah. You know, we say Rose. Which Rose? Rose on sea? No, Rose near Wrexham. No, Rose Lanarkshire dog. Yeah, that's where I'm from, and that, and and then, yeah, that's where all my family still live. I might have said that to you when we first yeah. interviewed. Yeah, all my family still live there. Uh, you know, in the in the area, in the village. Looking back then to when you were a kid, let's go really uh, down the rabbit hole. Where did you start to think, oh, acting, I'd like to do that? What what, what kind of sparked that passion off for you? Well, I mean, there was no, uh, absolutely no history in my family of any, um, the, uh, the arts are completely, you know, there's nothing at all. But in the village itself, it, you know, it's got, uh, quite a lot, big history of great amateur dramatics and great choirs and, you know, operatic society in Wrexham. And, and, you know, it's a very good area and, you know, still has wonderful choirs. John's boys who were in... Um, Britain's Got uh, Talent? Britain's Got Talent, yeah. Of course. You know, so it's had a long history. I, I, actually, I recently went back there, and this is the first time I'd done this, and there was a film called Asoon, you know, which is... Mm, um, yeah. Been, ...been doing the rounds lately. And uh, the, the guy who runs it, Rhys Davis, is, is an old friend uh, of mine. I've known him forever. I went to the same school and things. <clears throat> and um, he invited me. They, they were offered a premiere of it, and so he invited me to come and do, you know, see the film and and do a Q&A, which is the first time I'd ever done anything like that, really. I've done some stuff with the choirs over the years where I just go and kind of, they'd, if they've got a fundraising concert or something, I'll go and sort of read some, definitely not sing, but <laughs> go and read something, read a poem while they hum in the background. So. <laughs> um, so I've done that a few times, but I've never actually, you know, gone back to the Miners Institute, the Stute in Ross, where... Well, in a way, and, and it reminded me, I, it made me think about about all that, and and where you know why I went into the into this job, and um, it's kind of started in that building, really. I went and saw Oliver when I was quite young with uh, my friend's parents, and they were brilliant, and re- they really were brilliant. You know, everybody says you know they they're as good as the professionals and all that. But these, there was there was a handful of them that really were. They all went into teaching, like everybody in that era went into teaching, and <laughs> and, uh, and also I saw my first film in that building, uh, which was um, Jungle Book with my great grandmother. Got two distinct memories of being in that building in the studio, watching Jungle Book with my great grandmother. I must have been quite young, and and watching Oliver um, with these wonderful actors 
you know, doing this amazing stuff on stage. But, you know, it wasn't for me, you know, I never never for one minute thought um, that it would be for me. I, you know, my dad's a joiner, and my brothers went into the same industry, and my sister works in school. You know, it's no, there's no arts there at all. My grand, mm. grandfather on one side was a caretaker of the chapel, grandfather on the other side was a teacher, you know. But I had a wonderful teacher myself in, in uh, Morgan Fluid in Wrexham. And it was her, really, because I, 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 I the thing I knew was I wasn't going to be able to go into joinery or anything like that. You know, I knew, I, I, I kind of knew deep down that wasn't for me. You know, I couldn't just couldn't do it, I think. And um, and this teacher who was, uh, whose name was Gwaud Mason at the time, she she became Gwaud Davis. She actually passed away during COVID. And I saw her daughters this morning, funnily enough. I've got to know the three of them now. And uh, she was the one, really, who asked me. She, the, Morgan Llwyd at the time, because of her, had a great history. There's a Mor- uh, Morgan Llwyd's a, a comprehensive school in Wrexham, mm-hmm. Welsh-speaking comprehensive school. And and it had a brilliant uh, drama teacher, who, Gwaur, who did these amazing shows. And she asked me to be in one one year when I was about 16, I guess, 15, 16. And, and I said, yes. You know, I don't know why, mm. but I did. And it, it absolutely, that moment changed my life, you know. And I say this, and, you know, I've said this, you know, it's, it, it is all down to her, you know. Because if she hadn't have asked me that question, it just would never have occurred to me to go into the arts. It really yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't have even, you know, I wouldn't have given it a, a thought. I don't know what I would have done, but I would probably still be living in the area somewhere. Uh, and I wouldn't have been doing what I've been doing for the last whatever it is, 30-something years, you know, so it's really down to her. And, you know, I was lucky then that Clued Youth Theatre was fantastic and I went there for, a, I don't know, two, three years, I think, and then came to college in Cardiff. You know, kind of, once that, you know, question had been answered, I kind of knew then I was on the, I was on the travelator, you know, going yeah. in that direction towards... A career, you know, and I, and then, and since that, you know, since since then, I've never had any doubt that it's, it's the, this is the job for me. You hear that quite often. Well, it's it's two. It's normally two poles. Um, I have people get into acting. Either they love it and want to do it from a young age, or they have mm. absolutely no. It doesn't factor at all. And then one person, one teacher, one. Um, you know, theatre worker or something from their childhood plants that seed and off they go. Um, mm. Yeah, you find that I find that quite often on my um, mm. when I'm interviewing people um, like yourself. Let's go back to early in your career. Then, what would we have seen you in first, Mark? I know you're in Solomon and Gainer. Oh no, way before that, I did. Yeah. Um, I was very lucky. I did some uh, theatre first. Uh, there was a lady called Annie, Annie Castledine who was working at Theatre Clue. She gave me my equity card. This is in the days when, you know, there was that strange catch twenty two where you had to have an equity card to work, but you couldn't work without one. Yeah, the people did all sorts of things. I just got a job. I just got a small part in the Corny's Green at Theatre Clue, and, and I then worked with Annie Castledine over the years seven or eight times after that. And she's played a huge part in my early career in theatre. <clears throat> and um, so I did some theatre up in Theatre Cloyd and, and uh, Harleth and Mould and things. And um, 
And then I, uh, in 1988, I, I, I got a part in a, in a drama called Heartland and playing Anthony Hopkins's son. In, and it was a thing that was a BBC one-off drama about, and it was when you say it's about milk quarters, it sounds really odd, but it's quite current now in a way because it was about it was about restrictions that were placed on how much milk farmers could produce. So there were milk quotas; they were allowed to produce yeah. a certain amount of milk, and and, uh, and he was the farmer, and and the, the farm took out big loans from the bank, and then then because of the milk quarters couldn't repay them and they lost the farm and stuff. So it was quite a sad story. And he was the, so, so my first ever um, TV job was with Tony Hopkins playing his son. And it was just wonderful. You know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was, a it was, it was down a shot down in Pembrokeshire and uh, it was just brilliant. You know, I, I learned so much and he was so good. And, and, you know, cause I'd done, I'd only done theatre, a lot of youth theatre and, and college theatre and, and stuff, you know, so I was kind of used to, um, you know, sort of expressing yourself in a bigger way, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was doing nothing, you know, and very quiet and still in front of the camera. And I thought, all right, so that's that's how you do it, you know. So I was, I was um, learning from the best, yeah. you know, who's still amazingly still going and still wonderful, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, you know, directly after that, I got a film with Carl Francis. You know, a wonderful uh, Welsh director, and uh, did a thing called Angry Earth straight after it. And I thought this is easy. <laughs> Don't know what all the fuss is about. Um, <laughs> didn't didn't last. Uh, but no, I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of filming early on. Solomon Gainer was ten years after. Um, yeah. Solomon Gainer was ninety eight. Uh, I know that because one my one of my sons was born during the shoot, and uh, I had to race up to London to see him and come back and finish the shoot off. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Solomon Gaynor had a had a kind of revival um, in the last when I can't can't remember. I've kind of lost track of. I used to be really good at tracking time and sort of applying, you know, knowing what year things were because of the job that happened. And the last three or four years, it's all kind of got muddled. You know, I can't, can't remember when I did things at all. Anyway, um, it was some anniversary or something uh, uh, for Solomon and Gaynor. And uh, and so I went to see it in the Jewish Centre in London. And, and it also came to chapter and we did a couple of Q&As and things. Uh, and it was lovely to see it again. Mm. You know, more than I, I get. I guess it must have been was it twenty five years or something like that. Or, I don't know. Anyway, well, you said could well have been, yeah. the last time we spoke. I think you spoke about the anniversary, then the twentieth anniversary, and you were going to see oh. it. Oh, maybe um, it was that. Maybe it was that long ago then. Yeah, that's quite quite um, a groundbreaking film in terms of Welsh mm. cinema on the the topics yeah. that it covers and. Um, yeah. At at that point in the in the late nineties, what what was it like? Was there sort of a resurgence of British slash Welsh cinema? What what was it like back then? Uh, there was a lot of stuff like that, wasn't there? Because there was um, Kevin Allen's film um, Twin Tone and stuff like that, wasn't there? So there was a there was a kind of Hayth uh, uh, Wynn had already been Oscar nominated before Solomon Gainer, and Solomon Gainer was the second Welsh film. Well, speaking film to be nominated, and um, 
But I think there'd already been some like um, cooler films, you know. I think you know Ed Thomas's stuff was very current at the time, and and um, Twin Town, obviously. And there was a lot of kind of Welsh influence, I think, in London. You know, we did, did Under Milk Hood at the National in '95, and there was other stuff on in the in Soho Theatre, mm-hmm. and, and people, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening. I think, and so there was quite a lot of. There's quite a lot of Welsh theatre and film happening, you know, in the nineties. And uh, yeah, it was it was good to be part of that. I, I went to the Oscars actually. I went. I think I went because I don't think Johan could go, <laughs> so I was next in line. <laughs> so it was meant. To, I think it was meant to be Johan and Nia, and Johan couldn't go, so I went instead of Johan, which uh, which was lovely. It was. I kind of knew we weren't going to win as well. Um, it was the year at that. All about my mother, the um, oh, Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, this was that next year as well? Crikey. Yeah, well, it must have. But I think the Oscars were probably two thousand. When it, I tell you when it was, I know when it was because, but I can't remember the year. But I know it was when Sam Mendes won for American Beauty, and I'd already worked with Sam twice in theatre. I did Richard the Third as a tour with Simon Russell Beale playing Richard, and and then did the Tempest at the RSC with him at Stratford. And so I knew Sam and I was, and I went and I met, remember going up to him and congratulating him and holding the Oscar and they're quite heavy. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was surprised by how heavy there. And, um, yeah, so it was, so it was that, it was that period, you know, and it was, it was, it was great, you know, but I'd done, my work really started, you know, in theatre up in North Wales and then quite a bit of filming and then a lot of theatre. You know, I did a whole three years at the RSC and, a year with Theatre de Complicité and a lot of work with a company called Opera Factory. So it was quite a lot of, um, mm. for want of a better word, experiment. It's not experimental, you know. I guess non, not mainstream theatre as well as mainstream. So I did, you know, the National for about three years as well. And yeah. the first Globe season, which was 97, Gosh. when Mark Rylance was running it and played Leontes in the Globe in Winter's Tale. And then two years later, in 99, I went back and Mark direct. Mark played, it was the year that Mark played Cleopatra. So it was the all-male um, Anthony Cleopatra. And I was in that. And But he directed Julius Caesar and I played Mark Anthony. So it was a real, it was a lot of um, theatre, you know, mm. a lot of, um, yeah. It's quite when, intense. Yeah. yeah. When did he switch then? When did... Well, I remember the first time I saw you on Terry, and I forgot to mention to this you last time. I was a big fan of This Life, and you yeah, were scary, was, day, huge, scary day Dale. in This Life. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was a big yeah. fan of that. When did it switch for you on 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 TV? And it's sort of like two TV, sorry, and it's sort of been maybe an upward track. Um, yeah, I not don't it just I, I, kind of, I always said, you know, like, you know, when, I, when I'd when i been doing this for about 30 years, I would say, oh, the first 15 was theatre and the second 15. It wasn't quite as clear cut as that. There was a lot. Of, um, but however, in the last 20 years, it's been very little theatre. Mm. Very little. I did a did a play at the, um, I did uh, that, what I've just mentioned, um, the season, at the, like my second season at the Globe 99. And then, I did a play in uh, an early Arthur Miller play at the Donmar in, I think, uh, 2008. 
And, and the last play I did was 10 years ago, which was Private Zone Parade in the West End. Mm. And so it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, Italian film seemed to come more and more and I kind of got used to it. And, and I guess, you know, on the whole, I prefer it, which is something I think it's, I'm, I'm not, um, it's not usual, I don't think. I think a lot of mm-hmm. actors really prefer theatre, but, you know, television and film offers a, um, mm-hmm. I guess it offers a better quality of life, to put it, in, put it bluntly. Yeah. You know, because you get you get paid more and you and you get more time off and and stuff. You can't do anything in your evenings if you're working in theatre and yeah. Saturdays are gone. And you know, when we were at the Globe, we used to do two shows on a Saturday, two shows on a Sunday, so all weekends were gone. You know. Yeah. And and uh, but I kind of um, essentially I love the whole process of filming kind of preparing for one day's filming and for certain scenes and nailing them and <laughs> never doing them again. You know, the bit the bit <laughs> the bit I love about theatre is rehearsing. You know, I love the rehearsal room and I love the transition from the rehearsal room into the theatre and the sort of excitement of, you know, oh my dress, you know, oh look, oh, look at the set, oh, isn't it wonderful? And then and, and the tech and the dress and everybody's excited the first time in front of an audience and previews and, you know, notes the next day and then the press night and everybody says, oh, isn't it wonderful? And and, and it's then I lose heart, you know, and <laughs> I kind of think, oh, I've got to do this now for the next... When all the fanfare is done. Six six months, you know, and it's, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not very good at that, you know, I'm not very yeah. good at... I don't, I've discovered that I'm not very good at that sort of repetition, really. I, I know it's different every night. I know you you discover new things and... Mm-hmm. You know, every performance is different because, you know, we're human and there's different audience and it's a different atmosphere. And But you're essentially going through the same. Yeah. The same kind of process. But, um, yeah, so I, I uh, you know, I came to the conclusion that I, I love doing TV and film. I love filming on a film set and I love camera. And so I kind of, I've stuck to it really. And I don't, unless I'm, in denial, I don't feel I'm kind of, you know, in need of theatre, yeah. but I wouldn't, obviously wouldn't rule it out. Um, going back to what you said about uh, Anthony Hopkins and, you know, observing him, that emotion that he could put forward to just mm. being silent, I think mm. you've taken that and run with it in a lot of your mm. characters. What sort of roles do you keep an eye out for? What roles do you like? to play into yeah well I've been I've been kind of like um you know if I if I look back at the sort of uh the people I've played recently I kind of they've got they've got like this I don't know uh, well you know a common one would be Steve Baldini and Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about him for a sec because you know there was so much to Steve you know he was He'd really taken the wrong turn in life and, you know, was trying to um, escape from it. And mm. I, was, I found it hard to, you know. He found it easy to fall into that way of life. And, and in a way, that way of life suited him. And But yet he fell in love with, with faith and the complex relationship they had you know so I suppose I suppose the ones that I'm drawn to are these people who are really flawed in something yeah I like the ones that come good as well I like them I like the ones that 
you know, in 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 Outlander, you know, he starts off so horrendous, you know, he's so uptight and pious, and <laughs> and ends up, you know, really opening up in a very small space with uh, with Katrina's character Claire, you know, and and it, and it was just a lovely kind of, you know, to go from something that's so. Um, impenetrable and pious and and you know guarded to someone who just completely you know opens up mm. you know and you know so you know if, if I was to go back to the theatre the part that has always appealed to me because I saw I saw Gambon doing it when when he was in his early 40s weirdly I didn't know I didn't have no idea he was that young but Leah you know and mm. uh, Leah does that Leah starts off from this point and ends up at this point and 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 it's an extraordinary kind of you know you know he 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 gets he comes to the point when he knows he's he's messed it all up you know mm. he's completely ruined the world and himself you know with his own defects and and allowed them to take over and yeah so I suppose the characters like you know the but I, you know I'm, I'm really enjoying as well playing things like Willie Whitelaw and stuff you know. You know, in the soon, I, I really, yeah. Um, and I, I, I did a thing recently, uh, and it's it's just been announced that it's going to be in the um, in the Atlantic International Film Festival in Halifax, in Canada, in in um, September the something fourteenth, and it's called Sweetland, and it's based on a, a novel by a, a, um, a Newfoundland. I learned how to say that while I was there because I was corrected so many times. I used to say Newfoundland. Newfoundland, you know, <laughs> yeah. You say you say Newfoundland. I'm probably not even saying it right now, but anyway, <laughs> something something like Newfoundland, <laughs> and it's about this character called Sweetland, and I play Sweetland, and the director saw me in the Crown, and um, so I was offered it completely out of the blue. You know, this mm. film set in Newfoundland, and I went over there during COVID. I had to fly to Paris to Montreal to to St. John's in Newfoundland and it took me like two days to get there and then I had to just stay there for six weeks because nobody oh, wow. could come out and I couldn't come up and it was during yeah it was so it was 2021 so it was like the sort of second major lockdown yeah, kind yeah. of thing but you know I, was, I got managed to get there with masks and whatnot and piles of paper he's just one of the characters you know that um, it, it came out of the blue, and I kind of thought, well, you you can't turn this down. You know, he's he's such a he's such an amazing part, and it was a wonderful novel, Michael Crummy's novel, Sweet in the, of the same name, Sweetland. And um, I'm going to have a word with that lovely lady in um, in chapter and see if she'll do a showing of it at some point once it's opened in Canada. Mm. And so, sort of film, I think chapter. You know, is you see films like that, these sort of world films, you know. You know, it's about a man who refuses to leave, and everybody else is taken away, and and it's it's like the death of a community, it's death of an industry, cod fishing, yeah. and and they get taken over, and all these little villages dotted around this island get, you know, and everybody gets taken off the island and taken to the mainland and things, and he just refuses to go, and he's really stubborn. Um, but he's fascinating, you know. He's got a real sense of, um, you know, he kind of, I guess he embodies the whole idea of people being taken over by a bigger force, you know, being uprooted and not, you know, not being allowed to live the way they've lived for hundreds of years. And 
and he embodies all that. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of characters are just so, um, I don't know, they fascinate me, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get under the skin and, and try and, um, you know, try and make them real, you know, and, and also be, um, you know, cause I, I, I found myself in places like Newfoundland and Scotland playing Tom Christie in, in Outlander. And, and kind of, you, you know, you have a kind of like, you know, you have to kind of honour it. You know, you have to kind of be respectful and honourable to that because it's so part of their, it's not part of mine, but it's a part of their heritage and their story and their history. You know, and and I and I feel that I feel that kind of responsibility when you go there to make sure that you you kind of you know allow them to live and allow them to become real, but not uh, you know just be a channel for them in a way. You know, just like just be honourable to to that. Does it take a lot of energy? Like I know we've spoken a lot about the characters you play, but does it take a lot of energy to play such kind of? Um, they are serious characters. I'm trying to think of another way of putting serious characters, but they've got a lot on their mm. minds, haven't they? Usually, um, they and have, yeah, a lot. I think that's, yeah. There's a lot going on under the surface. I think those are the most interesting ones, you know. And yeah, I guess. And yeah, if you're with a good, you know, good directors, and you know, uh, you know, they kind of give you um, a few words to describe you know, where this character's at at this point of this scene, you know, mm. and, and therefore kind of what the scene is really about rather than, you know what I mean, rather than um, the obvious, you know, and, and and what the character really wants or, and what the character's kind of intentions are and stuff mm. without it getting, like, too technical and stuff, you know. It just, you know, I, I guess, you know, I can sit at home the night before we shoot a scene and kind of think I know the the essential of it, you know, what 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 it's really about and stuff. And then when I get on set and I watch the other actors and, and listen to the director, it kind of changes, you know. So you've got to be, I guess, prepared to ditch, you know, mm-hmm. some ideas you might have formed. Uh, one particular um, role that, well, was on during lockdown that was quite intense and it was, so it was after we spoke the last time was that Gangs of London. Yeah. Role. That was that was insane. That character and the episode that yeah. you filmed in Nieslan Haran, that was that was just yeah. really <laughs> yeah. it was both you know, Yeah, I, it was the first thing that, it was one of the first things that came out during lockdown. It came mm. out in early 2020, so everybody watched it because there's nothing else. Everybody was locked in their houses and so so a lot of people watched it, and and it was and it was brilliant. You know, it was Gareth Evans, you know, who was who I'd already worked with on Apostle, and um, yeah, he 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 had this character, this uh, Kinney, and um, um, I, I think he was originally going to be Irish, and uh, I said, well, I think he can be Welsh, and um, I convinced him that there was such a thing as you know Welsh travelling. Communities, and of course, there is. Yeah, I've and, never, uh, I've never seen him behave like that. Though maybe it's just something no. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, about. but you know what? I mean, you know, like I, I know a lot of people, my wife included, who uh, don't hate violence in in films and TV. You know, they really can't stand it. 
and yet really got into gangs of London, you know. So obviously the the, the violence was hugely important, and Gareth, nobody does it as well as Gareth, in my opinion. You know, he's brilliant at it. it the, he honed his skills at doing the raid films in in, in Indonesia, you know, and and he's going from strength to strength and it's wonderful to see, you know, and um, you know, there's the violence absolutely brilliantly and it's incredibly believable, you know, sometimes it's stylized, but still incredibly believable and, and very um, elegant and stuff, you know and, 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 you know, quite you know, extremely violent and it needs to be, you know, for that world to be believable, but obviously it, you know, it's still the, the characters and their relationships, you know, were first and foremost, you know, because it, it kind of drew people in who don't necessarily like violent films or violent TV, you know, like, and Gwenno loved it. But, you know, for instance, that character, you know, was was obviously, you know, part of a very violent world and committed acts of huge violence. But always his intentions were loved, you know, for his community and his son, you know. Mm. And, and and once I understood that, it, it, you know, it kind of made sense of everything. You know, you know. In other words, the violence was only ever there in order to protect. You know, so in a way, he behaved like um, you know, like a grizzly or or like um, you know, um, a, 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 a lion looking after the pride. You know what I mean? The kind of like the, the violence was never. You know, it was never gratuitous in any way, really, because it was even though it was, you know, high level violence, it was there to protect. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was it was a brilliant uh, and that and that episode, you know, the fifth episode, we always called it the Welsh episode, and uh, it was shot down in um, Pencoid, you know, down in, uh, yeah. in Dragon Studios, and they, they built that house especially for it. And um, Richard Harrington was in it, of course, being Mal. Um, yeah, it was really wonderful. I loved it. It's a brilliant thing to do. You moved back to Wales, didn't you, after 26 years of mm. living in London? Um, what did it, did just moving back to Wales, was that the draw moving home? Or could you see the way the industry was going? You know, you've talked about Dragon Studios and the industry here is just, got, it's just skyrocketing, really. Mm. Was that, did that mm. play a part as well? Or was it just purely you wanted to come home? And I mean, because you, you can work anywhere and travel anywhere. No, it, it was nothing to do with that. <laughs> I just got married. <laughs> All right. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was, again, there was no plan. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, when when we were deciding where, where to live, you know, Gwenno runs a shop, as you know, and uh, Kitty. And so, it, you know, she wanted to start up this business. And so Cardiff was going to be the place. And so we we decided, and, and Jacob, my youngest, was uh, I think nine or ten at the time. It kind of made more sense to be in Cardiff. But the older boys, had, you know, were in their late teens, early 20s by then. So it, it kind of made more sense to be here anyway. But yeah, the, I was aware that there was this, you know, industry that was really um, flourishing and growing in Cardiff, and you know, um, and I, you know, and any as you say, yeah, you can just travel anywhere now. You can go, you know, I can go to London and work and stay in a nice hotel, and it's it's fine, you know. I, mean, I you know, I went to London in the late eighty seven. I moved to London, so. I don't know if it felt important then, I think, and perhaps it was, 
to to be in London and kind of you know is this was it was before we had any of this and before you know doing um, self tapes or anything like that you had to go meet casting directors and directors and 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 stuff and kind of it, 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 it just felt it felt like you know that that was the rightly or wrongly it felt like that was you know the hub and I wanted to work at the national I wanted to work in the RSC and be in the Barbican and and do some you know, stuff in the Donmar and stuff. So it kind of, it made total sense to be in London for all that time. And now it makes complete sense to be here, you know, because it's, there's, there's great stuff happening in Wales, but also it's, it's, it's fine to, you know, I can go to Newcastle, or I can go to London, I can go, you know, wherever to work, you know, from, from here, you know, and um, I don't think there's the pressure on, I know a lot of, I've worked with a lot of young actors recently, and a lot of them do still go to London to live for a bit and I think I think that's great you know do that you don't necessarily you don't have to stay as long as I do but you know it's bloody expensive now though. it's really tough to live in London now financially if, you, if you're directly out of drama school mm. rent is massively high you know if you're doing you know some theatre in, in London is not well paid and it's tough now you know it's really not easy to to settle in London now mm-hmm. so you know I, I I think places like Cardiff and Cardiff in particular is you can you can kind of still you know you're less than two hours from London now we spoke about this when we talked about Teddy Millwood you're playing Teddy Millwood in the crown playing real people must be different on another level than playing fictitious people and because the actual person you've got to you either mm. meet them or you don't or there's so many more layers whether you mm. meet them whether you do how you portray them and you know which which way you you go down with the roles do you like playing real people yeah well <laughs> teddy milward was wonderful to play and he was still alive when and so i met him i i i, I spoke to theo his daughter a few times before we started filming and you know, to find out about her dad and things. And, um, and then we met. Um, I'd kind of done most of most of it because it was mostly shot in studio in London, so all the interiors. But then we went to Aberystwyth University and we did kind of, you know, um, there was there was a scene when uh, Prince Charles was studying in the library with the sea behind him. That is actually in, in, in Aberystwyth. And there were some scenes when I'm walking up steps and things like that. And uh, before I get into my study, and that again was all Abbott. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he came on set, and which must have been quite a strange experience. I got some wonderful photos of me and him sitting in Aberystwyth University, and I'm dressed like him, and he's an old man, and and he's still with us. And we had a great chat. It was lovely. It was really. It was really lovely to meet him, and 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 then um, the the director and producer uh, decided that it would be a good idea to show him the episode. And so he was still alive then, obviously. So we went up to there's a tiny little cinema in in Aberystwyth University, and um, uh, so Gwen and I and. And Christian Chow and the, the producer and and Una and uh, Teddy and Cleo 
and a friend of his, we just sat in a little tiny cinema and watched this episode. And, and that's how how much they had invested in it, you know. You know, they really were honourable to him and to that part of Welsh history. You know, and, and Netflix, you know, didn't shy away from subtitling it and calling it to Wasak Cymru and, you know, they opened so many doors by doing that, you know. Yeah. The, the, that worldwide audience could hear the Welsh language and it being spoken in a domestic situation. And, and also, you know, the causes that were talked about at, at Trewerin and and the investiture and stuff, you know, and the movement applied to Cymru at the time, you know, it was it was a fantastic thing to, to be part of. Anyway, we showed this episode to him and um, it was... It was a really special day, you know, to be part of it. Sadly, he did him and Gwal both both passed during um, COVID and and lockdown and things. Uh, but yeah, I've stayed in touch with Theo and um, yeah. But you know, playing real people again is it's, it's, it's a similar to that responsibility you have when you go and play somebody from another land, mm. like like Sweetland and like Outlander. You know, you've got that. Uh, you have a real responsibility to those, you know, because those people, some of them may still be alive and some of them may have passed, but their families are still, mm. you know. Um, so you've got that. Uh, yeah, I feel a real, I guess I guess you just feel like a real responsibility to be, you know, to be true to it in some way and give them, you know, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a person who can do, um, uh, Imitations, you know what I mean. I'm not, you know what I mean. So just you just kind of try and catch this. I guess you just try and capture the spirit of the person, you know. And uh, and it was so well written, the Crown. Mm-hmm. You know, James Graham, who wrote it, it was so brilliantly written. It was such a beautiful episode. And loads, so many people have talked to me about that episode. Those two experiences I had, the jobs I had in in um, in Newfoundland and Scotland, both came as directly as a result of people watching that episode and it really touched I think it really had a, an effect you know as did the Aberfan episode of that yeah. same series actually yeah you know it's really kind of had it had so much uh those two those two episodes in particular had such a, a strong effect on people you know I think um when you hear that really sensitive topics of Welsh history being covered by something like The Crown on Netflix, you think, oh, are they going to be really slapdash with it or something like that? But I think the way they were handled um, was was excellent and only served to share this thing, which these two pieces of history which are so important to us in Wales and Mm. everyone knows about them. Mm. And you know, to push them out to such a massive global audience can only be a good thing. Um, mm. So I thought, yeah, I I really, not again, not enjoyed those episodes, but I thought they were excellent. For, for hour-long mm. episodes, they sort of ticked every box that you would like to be ticked. Mm. They didn't gloss over too much, mm. which could easily be mm. done in an hour's episode. So yeah, yeah, I really thought 
they were brilliant episodes. Um, mm. Switching to something super, really superficial now, <laughs> um, which I've seen you go to all these conventions, fan conventions and things like that. When did you notice that change? People started to go, oh, it's, it's Captain Kennedy from Star Wars. It's, well, um, I thought Captain Kennedy was going to be, you know, I thought Captain Kennedy was going to be the real, you know, because it being Star Wars and it's a speaking part and everything. And I've done, I did a specific... Uh, I've done a couple of comic cons. It's not, it's a, to be honest, you know, uh, the ones I've done, a couple of them I've really enjoyed. And um, I did the Welsh Comic Con a few years back in, in the William Aston, in, in, in the, sorry, in the University Glyndwood in, in Wrexham. And um, I recently did an Outlander one as well. And, and both those were great, you know, but um, I've not done many, you know, um, but outline. I thought that Star Wars was going to be huge, you know what I mean, because it's a proper speaking part and everything. And and uh, I did this um, Star Wars convention specifically for Star Wars, you know. And and there was a guy next to me, as you know, and it's like you sit in a row and you have pictures of your character and you're behind you and you have lots of photographs in front of you and you sign and and, and have photographs of people and things. The, the guy next to me, right, was an, well, he's not even an actor anymore. He played some character from one of the very early films in a massive suit. You know, so what you couldn't even see him, you know, I don't know the character's name, the creature's name. He had a queue a mile long. Like there was, there was more interest in that than an actual character with lines, you know. <laughs> and You're so it was, I thought, I thought this is. This is kind of like a, I thought this is a real strange world, you know, because I and it's not a world I understand because I I don't I've never you know in a, in a way, me playing Captain Kennedy was a waste because it would have been better giving it to a, an actor who was, was you know a big fan of Star Wars and I'm not you know I, I mean I've I've watched some of the recent films and I've really enjoyed them you know I mean but I'm not a massive Star Wars fan. I've ne- I, you know, so I don't really know what they're talking about. You know, I, in fact, when I got Captain Kennedy, I had to ask someone his first daughter, a good person or a bad person. I didn't even know that. So there we are. I won't be invited back. <laughs> I'll tell you that. However, um, Outlander is on another level. The Outlander fan base is amazing and huge and incredibly knowledgeable, as are the Star Wars people, to be fair. You know, I did enjoy meeting a lot of the Star Wars people. They are they are so knowledgeable about that story of those films, you know, and I'm not. Um, but the Outlander, I did a recent Outlander one, and it was wonderful. I mean, they are true. I mean, from all over the world, a lot, a lot, from the states, but a lot from all over Europe as well, yeah. and um, yeah, it was yeah, it's, it's absolutely. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people are Outlander fans, and so this character, you know, Tom Christie, you know, he's yeah, he actually kisses Claire in one of the scenes, you know, so it's like had a huge, you know, not it's not like a, it's, it's like you know, out of shock, you know, it's not a. Yeah, it's not a sex scene <laughs> by any <laughs> means. Um, 
by any means. Um, they wouldn't allow that. No, 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 should it be? Um, anyway, uh, yes, uh, it, it's funny doing those things. I have huge fan bases because it's you know it's the same job for me. You know what I mean? I'm just you know it's the same as men up or you know what I mean? It's uh, Sweetland or something. You know which which would be Sweetland one. You know, it, it, it's it's of a specific genre. You know what I mean? It's an art house film. Mm-hmm. And and that's why somewhere like Chapter would be perfect for it, you know, because it's that kind of film, you know, and and it'll it'll go it'll be in the sort of those sort of art housey festivals, you know. I'm sure. What are you up to in Cardiff? What what's up next? Are you enjoying living in Cardiff? And well, you've been back yeah. quite a while now, but you know, where'd you like to go? Who would you like to see? Other than me hanging uh, around your street in lockdowns. <laughs> I'm um well, I'm doing Iron Man Wales, you know. Uh, Doing it on week, uh, week on Sunday. Any spare time I've had in the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven or eight months or something, this year basically, has been either on a bike or in a, having swimming lessons or trying to run. I haven't been able to run much because I had a knee op just before Christmas. So I shouldn't really be doing Ironman this year, however I am. Um but I've been doing a lot of cycling around and we're going tomorrow, the last one. So it's, it's um, what do they call it? Uh, um, yeah, I'm tapering. No, no, well, I'm not actually yet. I'm doing panic training, actually. But I will be tapering from about Monday, Tuesday, next week for a few days. And then I'll go down to Tembe on Friday. I tried to do this thing five years ago, 2018. And for a lot of reasons mainly because I hadn't trained enough in the last five or six weeks due to being ill and things. I um, I didn't finish it. So I did all the swim, all the bike and half the run. And, uh, and then I ran out of time. I kind of had a... Uh, anyway, I was crawling, basically. The so this time round, then, is... Uh... You've got to finish business, it. as we say. You've, I've got yeah. to finish it. Because I'm, be, I'm 59, so I don't want to be doing this in my 60s, do I? You never know. There's probably loads of 60-odd-year-olds. Oh, there'd be people in their 70s doing it. But it takes up a lot of your time. A lot. It takes up all your spare time, basically. Yeah. If you want to finish. If you want to finish, you have to. You've got to kind of like... But anyway, it is an amazing event. And it's, and it's it, as you know, it's in Tembe, so, which I love. And it's a fantastic, you know, it's so iconic that beach and those that amazing um, coast that we use, you know, down to Angle and back and through all those wonderful places, you know, Pembroke and things like that, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, um, and then the run, you know, which is absolutely horrendous. Tell me what you're doing it for. Tell me what you, just for the. Head for change. It's the Alex, it's um, Alex Pop. I'm doing it with Alex Popham and and a team, you know, Alex Popham, the rugby player. And it's head for change. Um, so I'm running in their colours, the whole team of us. I think there's about 10 of us, I think. And, um, yeah, I'm doing in that in in an in absolutely skin-tight tri-suit. <laughs> and, and very, what I, would, what I would say, unforgiving tri-suit that you can barely, well, me, I can barely breathe in. No, I can breathe in. It's fine. I'm joking. But it is 
blooming tight. You'll be going so. out for all these action films now, even more action roles. After your, after your Iron Man, they'll be like, oh, yeah. let's, let's get him yeah, on the action yeah, roles. Look at him. Look at him. He's not... Yeah, I've lost like... Um, I've been doing this intermittent fasting as well, which oh. is really good. You ever tried it? No. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. And it, and it's it's good. You, you you stop. Well, I the way I do it is like sixteen eight or something. I've tried these things before where you get like um five two. Have you ever done you, you know when you eat like whatever you like for five days, but two days you basically starve yourself. Two days a week, no, not for me. Because by like three or four o'clock, I could literally kill somebody. You know, it's like whereas if I do intermittent fasting, which is basically what wherever we eat tonight, now when this is over and we eat tonight. Finish by eight eight thirty. I then just don't eat till lunchtime the following day. I can do that because when I'm hungry in the morning, I know I'm going to eat at lunchtime. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Mark. Uh, so thanks for listening this week. Don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest TV and showbiz news by subscribing to our newsletter over at www.wheelsonline.co.uk. Cheers.